Well, hello again, everybody. I'm Warren Smith. I'd like to welcome you to this edition of the Ministry Watch podcast. In today's extra episode, uh, I'm going to be telling the story of the man of the tombs. There's a little bit of a backstory uh, to this uh, story, if I could put it this way, and that is that uh, I was asked a couple of weeks ago to speak at a Bible study, an early morning Bible study that takes place here in Charlotte, North Carolina. I was asked because of you know my work with Ministry Watch, uh, but they also really wanted it to be a Bible study. Um, that's sort of the uh, vibe of this particular group, and there were about 50 men gathered at 6.30 in the morning to uh, hear me speak on the story that has become really one of my favorites in Scripture, which is when you hear what the story is uh, in a minute, you'll think that's a little bit strange. In fact, my friend Ed Stetzer uh, told me that uh, it says a lot about me that the story of a demon-possessed man is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. But I think that by the time we get to the end of today's episode, that uh, you might understand why, and I hope maybe that this story uh, will become one of your favorites as well. Well, let me begin by, first of all, saying that the man of the tombs story, which we can find in three of the Gospels, but I'm going to talk about Mark chapter 5 today, is probably one of the strangest stories in all of Scripture. Uh, It's truly of another culture and another, another era, but despite its strangeness, and in fact, I think maybe because of that strangeness, I think we can learn some lessons for our time today, especially for ministry leaders and pastors, and I've identified five lessons that I'd like to briefly share with you today. Uh, As I said, uh, the story is found in three Gospels, every one of the four Gospels except for the book of John. But I like the one in Mark 5 because uh, Mark's Gospel is sometimes the Gospel that I call the journalist Gospel. It was the earliest written it was it's the shortest gospel and its language is really sharp and direct i think mark would have made a great newspaper editor and in mark's telling of the story jesus left the crowds that he had been preaching to on the northern and western regions of the sea of galilee and he retreated to a somewhat more desolate region on the southeastern shore And while there, he encountered a man that was possessed by demons, and Jesus cast out the demons, and the man was healed and made whole again. That's sort of the arc of the story. But I'd like to focus, as I said, on a few key lessons. And the first lesson that I want to mention is that Jesus left the many for the one. Jesus was not impressed by the crowds that had come to see him on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. In fact, he fled them, uh, if I could put it that way. Jesus' behavior sharply contrasts with some of the platform-building, celebrity-seeking, conference-headlining leaders of the evangelical industrial complex that we see today. And they're the ones uh, that we report on a lot here at Ministry Watch. Jesus, however, left the many to minister to the one. And I think that's a really important lesson for us today. Lesson number two is this, that uh, this story reminds us that Jesus sought the least and the lost. 
He was not a respecter of persons. It's hard to imagine that the Jesus of the Gospels would be much of a social media influencer, a networker, or a personal life coach if he were alive today. Well, of course, we know he is alive, but I mean physically walking among us today. Now, that's not to say that he did not have influence didn't have a network, and didn't have disciples that he coached and mentored. But these were not the ends nor the means for Jesus. He was about building God's kingdom and glorifying his Father. Those were both his means and his ends. And in order to do so, he had to walk among the dead, if I might put it that way, just as he did whenever he went to the man of the tombs, to people who don't know him, to people who are not comfortable uh, in the evangelical or the Christian bubble, or in his case, just among his disciples, those that were giving him praise. Again, another great lesson I think we can learn from this story. Number three is that Jesus named the demons. Now, I'm a journalist, and I think words matter. And of course, that idea that words matter comes straight from Scripture. Among God's first instructions to Adam was to name the animals. The eighth commandment is to not bear false witness. What we call things really does matter. It is one way that we humans maintain a relationship to reality, to the created order. But I probably don't need to tell you that we live in an age in which words don't seem to matter. Our politicians argue over what the definition of is is. Even Christian groups and Christian leaders often speak what I call evangelistically about the accomplishments of their ministries, especially at fundraising time. Indeed, fact-checking fundraising claims has become its own separate beat here at Ministry Watch. And if you're listening to this, uh, go to the show notes for today's program, and I'll give you some recent examples of how we've done that. Christians, especially Christian leaders, should tell the truth. We should not parse words. We should not prevaricate. We should not make unsubstantiated claims. It's interesting that Jesus commanded the demons to come out of the man of the tombs, and at first the demons didn't. They didn't come out. Then Jesus asked the demons their name, and they answered, We are legion, for we are many. Jesus then exorcised the demons. Now, that has always been an interesting part of the story for me. Did Jesus not have the power to deliver the man until the demons gave him their name? Well, I don't believe that that's the case. I don't believe that's the lesson of this story. I don't believe Jesus was limited in any way by what the demons did or did not do. I think rather that Jesus was teaching us yet again that words matter. What we call things matters. Calling things by their true names is one of the ways that we bear true witness in the world. Now, the fourth lesson I'd like to draw out of this story of the man of the tombs is that sometimes Jesus says no. Perhaps the most poignant aspect of this story is its ending. When the man of the tombs is whole and in his right mind, that's the language the Bible uses, in his right mind, 
he naturally wants to follow Jesus. I mean, who wouldn't? But Jesus said no. He tells the man to stay behind, to go among the people who knew him before, and to share what Jesus had done in his life. And he did this. And the Bible says that people were amazed. Now, what the Bible doesn't tell us, but history does, is that this was a Gentile region, and it was one of the first regions in the world to be completely overtaken by Christianity. It is speculation to say that the man of the tombs was responsible for this uh, Christian growth in that region, but that conclusion is certainly possible, not implausible in any way. What we can say with certainty is this, that sometimes following Jesus doesn't look like what we want it to look like. Following Jesus sometimes means not following Jesus, at least not in the way we want. Now, the final lesson I'd like to draw out of this passage is uh, one that, you know, I struggle a little bit with the uh, way I describe it here. And and if you do, please know that I I share that struggle because uh, it sounds uh, maybe a little different than the way I want it to sound. But it is this lesson, that Jesus keeps score. Now, the true name of the man of the tombs is lost to history. We don't know what his real name was, but his impact reverberates through the ages. Now, just before Tim Keller died, I interviewed him, and Tim Keller is often called the non-celebrity celebrity. Fame found him, though he did not seek fame. And near the end of that interview, I asked him how he wanted to be remembered. He had just talked about the cancer that had, by the time of our conversation, almost completely overtaken him. And just weeks after the interview that I had with him, he would, in fact, be dead. Questions about legacy were not abstract to either of us in this conversation. They were clear and present concerns. So I asked him about his legacy. How do you want to be remembered? And his answer really stuck with me. He said this, the only thing I want to be remembered for is that I loved my children and my grandchildren. Beyond that, I don't think I care or should care too much about how I'm remembered. Let the chips fall where they may. Let the chips fall where God wants them. You know, I think that's a pretty good answer. And it was a reminder that, you know, we keep score here on earth in ways very different than the way God keeps score. Uh, He sees all of eternity. He sees the consequences of actions that sometimes took place years, decades, even centuries earlier. And we just need to be obedient. We need to be faithful. That is our goal, not to measure success. We need to remember that Jesus is keeping score. We don't have to. In an age of platform building, celebrity spotlights, bestseller lists, and movie deals, that's a refreshing sentiment indeed. Well, thanks for listening uh, to today's reflections on Mark chapter 5, the story of the man of the tombs, and how it relates, I think, to ministry leaders and pastors today. Uh, Hope you found uh, these past few minutes nourishing, and if you did, I want to acknowledge a few people for helping bring it to you. Our producers are Rich Rosell and Jeff McIntosh. I get technical 
database, editorial, and other support from Kim Roberts, Christina Darnell, Stephen DeBerry, and Casey Suddeth. Uh, we are in the last month of the year here at Ministry Watch, and uh, if and also uh, obviously other Christian ministries are as well. We hope that you will give generously during this last month. A lot of Christian ministries make as much as forty percent of their budget during the last thirty days of the year, and we want to help you become more uh, effective, uh, more compassionate, and more discerning. Uh, stewards of the resources that God has entrusted to you. That's why we have a Ministry 1000 database. If you go to the Ministry Watch website and hit the red Ministry Watch 1000 database at the top of the page, you will be able to find ratings on a thousand of the largest Christian ministries in the country. Sure hope that you will use that database to help you make wise year-end decisions. Well, I'm Warren Smith, your host. It's been great to be with you today. And until next time, It'll be Friday when Natasha Cowden and I are back with you uh, for our weekly news summary. Until then, may God bless you.